and welcome to episode three of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. The podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space and bring you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. In this episode, I bring you a highly experienced CTO in Mark Degenar. Mark has recently joined the London markets insurance business, Aegis London. Prior to that, Mark held key leadership roles at AXA, DLG, and most recently, a European insurtech business. In this episode, we talk more about Mark's journey into architecture and insurance, his love of golf, sailing across the Atlantic, and some more detail on his views on where the insurance sector is heading over the coming years. This is a brilliant insight into a true tech-focused leader with a hugely impressive career history, working for some of the biggest brands in the sector. So welcome back to Behind the Desk with Mark Thomas. I've got uh, another fantastic guest for you today, introducing Mark Degenar, who uh, is uh, current CTO at Aegis London. It'd be good to hear from you, kind of an intro on yourself and uh, and a bit of background about kind of where you are and what you're doing at the moment. Sure. Um, thanks, Mark. And it's, you know, it's a pleasure to join you on the podcast um, and also just being taking part in this series. So I, I'm Mark Diochno, Mark Degenau. Um, I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Aegis London, uh, which is an upper quartile, one of the top 20 syndicates uh, and uh, underwriting house uh, here in the Lloyd's Market, just behind me. Um, I've actually recently joined the organisation. I've been with them for a couple of months now. Um, a little bit about my background probably is a good way to start and understand who I am and what it's like to be behind the desk that I'm working at now. Um, I actually come from a, a business administration and most of my higher education and degree was actually focused on business and business management, during which I, I kind of really excelled in strategy and uh, strategy, strategic decision analysis, business simulation. In fact, the business simulation is where I really found out that I have a talent for technology because I built this enormously complex uh, business simulation solution, which got very high marks. Um, and it kind of made me think, business is great, but how do I kind of apply my business knowledge, given that in the early 90s, the start of the internet and technology revolution, so it really kind of led me into looking at roles as I left college um, in the sort of technology space. I was very lucky to to land a what you might call a fast track program, graduate program with a company called Triad, um, which is a, a boutique specialist software house and kind of business management, IT management company. And through that, I worked in a number of different consulting roles in financial sector, Ministry of Defence, uh, aerospace, um, retail, and a number of different other sectors, including airlines as well. Building systems, coding, transforming uh, systems integration, lots of enterprise architecture, technology strategy, but also a lot about really how really bringing the business to the technology and the process together. So methodology and how to actually design systems that really truly met the business initiatives and drove innovation. Um, as I say, a lot of that consulting period of my career was it was in, in, in insurance companies, and I got a wide experience of lots of different types of insurance through that, and eventually ended up uh, taking a role as chief architect for uh, AXA, uh, AXA Healthcare, which basically for the last 11, 12 years, I've been in doing nothing but insurance, either working, defining strategies and leading transformations and bringing technology innovation to those organizations, um, taking uh, roles, senior roles in strategy and architecture and technology and some of the insurance software companies that I've also worked in the past. I had a great experience working for Direct Lines, a super uh, insurance company uh, in Bromley, 
as their chief architect for three years. Again, also transformation, looking at um, delivering new methodologies and applying tech digital and agile and a number of the things that I think you have been hearing about in the industry for a number of years. Um, and really, before joining Aegis, I, I run um, the professional services division as SVP of architecture for a true cloud insurance platform, which means I've got experience of both what it's like to work with a business as an insurer with the insurer, but also from uh, from the technology vendor's perspective around how they deliver technology platforms, cloud platforms. So that leads me to where I am today, which is you know, two, two months or so into my new role as Chief Technology Officer at Aegis, um, where the, you know, the theme still continues around transformation, delivering true digital innovation and helping to evolve both the organization as it goes forward, but also particularly uh, in, the, in this particular sector of insurance that I work in, being part of the overall community of the market and how it continues to transform. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a, it's a really interesting, actually, because you, um, you've obviously covered a few different areas of insurance there, like from, from, from health insurance into the, the, the more kind of personal commercial lines type GI stuff at, at DLG, then, then an insure tech, then back to London markets. Um, what, how, how have you, what have you found is the kind of the big differences between them and in, 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 in especially, I, I guess, kind of going into the London markets piece? Well, one of the markets areas is obviously I've always, in those other roles, I've, I've actually covered all of the major sort of main business lines of of insurance from, from pensions and life insurance all the way through to large corporate and speciality and, and lots and lots of personal lines uh, type of uh, insurance models. And I've been involved in and taken part in many of the different varieties of those insurances, you know, from... Uh, from motor and home and the sort of things that most people think of and in recent years some of the innovative things that I've been driving is things as using internet of things to drive parametric insurance to you know, measure things going on that then drives an automated way of uh, you know delivering uh, delivering the, sur- the insurance the assurance ultimately to provide the claims automatically um, I think that that experience is, is kind of different to Lloyd's. One of the things, one of the reasons why I'm at Aegis is actually because it's a one area being much closer to the Lloyd's building. Um, is actually an interesting new kind of model for how uh, compared to my previous experience. So I'm learning quite a lot about our industry that even after 20 odd years um, is still quite new because uh, you know, Lloyd's market works in a different way and it's really quite exciting for me because it's an area that has not necessarily been as digitized as some of those other types of businesses. And so for me, it's a great opportunity to really support uh, both Aegis and the market itself um, in terms of how it kind of transforms in that digital way. Yeah, there's uh, Mark's made a, a reference a few times then to the building behind it. For those of you on the just on the podcast, um, Mark has got an amazing view of the of the Lloyd's building right right out of his window. I'm uh, I'm quite jealous of my being in my uh, kind of spare office bedroom at the moment. Uh, he, he's he's definitely back in the office, which is is a rarity on these uh, these podcasts at the moment. Um, so so Mark, t- tell us a bit about the. Um, I mean, obviously this is all about the, the 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 person behind the desk and and what's going on, and we'll we'll, we'll go on to cover a lot more about what's going on. At Aegis and what's in your in in your kind of view at the moment from a from a professional perspective. But tell us a bit about the man uh, away from uh, away from work. Um, I, I know having shared a few holes of golf before we uh, were, were drastically rained off. Um, you're you're into your golf, but any, anything else? Tell us a bit more about you uh, away from work. So obviously, uh, uh, my, I spend a lot of time with my family and my dogs. Um, it's one of my sort of it is the primary primary focus of my life outside of work, I suppose. 
I love my golf. Um, I think my wife sometimes thinks that she's a golf widow. So I'm very often on the grass uh, as a place to be uh, exercising and using golf balls, sometimes winning as well. Um, I sail, uh, and so it's probably one of the big parts about me as, as a character is I've done a number of long-distance sailing um, trips in my time over the many years, actually, including a couple of Atlantic crossings. Um, so sailing is certainly a big passion for me. Um, and I also play guitar. I'm a blues guitarist and play Les Paul and uh, various other kind of instruments as well, which is sort of really good for the soul. It's also an element of mathematics to it, which may be kind of why I'm also a technical person as a link there. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm a pretty normal guy, really. Uh, pirate, sailor, guitarist, and IT uh, genius, I guess. <laughs> and so, so tell us a bit more about the sailing. I'm intrigued at that. I mean, the, the golf thing, uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly with you. Uh, de- definitely uh, on, on the same wavelength there. But how, how did you get into the sailing? I mean, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's not just your, your average kind of uh, weekend hobby, is it? Go, going, going across around the world and Atlantic crossings, etc. Well, so some some of you may have picked up a slight sort of twang to my accent. I originally was born in Southern Africa, in South Africa, although I've been in England for many years and I'm English. But uh, I actually started sailing with my father when I was about six, seven. Um, and I actually started uh, getting involved with the local yacht club there, you know, I was sort of up until I was about 10, 11, actually racing, um, either on small boats that you'd expect someone of that sort of age to be sailing. But for various reasons in family terms, my father bought a bigger Hobie cat. And so I inherited basically his Hobie 14. And although I wasn't actually heavy enough to put it right and had to carry sort of bags of sand and things like that, I used to race it on my own. So I've been very kind of in tune with the water, I suppose, from a long, young, young age and did quite a bit of sail- ocean sailing even then, you know, up and down the coast in Southern Africa. And, you know, during my teens, I sailed with... Um, the, some of the, uh, the youth training, youth uh, sailing here and tall ships race and took part in some of those uh, activities in my teens. Um, and in my early 20s, uh, I went and started to do training for Yachtmaster and Yachtmaster Ocean. And so I have those qualifications. Um, and in between college and at the end of college, before starting a career, and a couple of small kind of longer term holiday breaks, literally taking four or five weeks off at a time, I actually organized myself to, to do some deliverings of yachts across the Atlantic. So when I was consulting, I'd work very hard for a long period for my customers and then take a, an extended holiday all in one go in order to either do quite a bit of golfing more often it was to, at the time in my late 20s, early 30s, it was to go and do a kind of a quick trip across the Atlantic, three weeks, four weeks type thing, and then back to the UK and straight back to work. And it was a, it's an unusual because you come back from Atlantic crossing and people don't, they really can't imagine if they've not done it, what it feels like to be a thousand miles from anywhere um, yeah. and to go for 14 days and not see another, another human or any sign of man. Um, and then I'd come straight back in and go straight back into my suit and go straight back into consulting, which is always an interesting shock. But I'll tell you what, it was a really good way to kind of clear the head um, and to kind of reflect on on that previous year and then come back in with a kind of different focus. In some ways, those, those sort of sailing trips, which I still do now, not the long ones, uh, I tend to sail up and down the coast now on the south coast. It's a little closer to a, a nice pub or to a little quieter resting spot at night. Uh, my wife doesn't like <laughs> being in the ocean so much anymore. Um, but yeah, it's, it's actually a very good, uh, good, good head. I was going to say, did you, t- do you take your wife with you? Does she, is she, uh, is she as, as kind of got her sea legs, as it were, as much as you do? 
Oh, very much so. I actually met her on one of my, one of those joints across the Atlantic. She she was my first mate uh, to join a ship that I was captaining across the Atlantic from Cape Town to uh, Fort Lauderdale. And somewhere near St. Helena in the middle of the Atlantic, she became my first mate. And I've uh, she's been with me ever since. But what she would say is that uh, I, I, I'm the captain and she's the boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I know she's, she's, she's a very good sailor as well. Yeah, yeah, so, certainly. Not the sailing, but certainly the boss in uh, in my house as well. So so I guess, I guess moving on to... Um, Moving on to, to Aegis, then obviously you've ju- you've just started this role. Bit you mentioned about the, the the big transformation. What what's the what does it kind of look like in your world at the moment? What's what's kind of next on the agenda for you? So I mean, everybody in the industry and, and not just the insurance industry has been talking about this word digital for a long time. And I've been involved, as I said before, in helping to transform, define digital strategies, and enable organisations to kind of really leverage modern technology. And, remove the constraints of legacy technology in other organizations. So I think that, you know, my the top of my list at the moment is, is supporting the organization in its digital transformation, looking at how we define a, a really clear digital strategy. So digital strategies in different organizations, they're not something you can buy out of a box or that you can quickly get a PowerPoint slide that says that's what you do. Follow this recipe and you're digital. It is actually unique. It needs to be specific and efficient. It needs to be about driving continuous change. And ultimately, it's about people, about enabling their use of technology in new ways, augmenting them, supporting them in better ways to do better business. And one of the things I really love about Aegis is its values. One of that is getting better every day. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, my big focus is going to be about shaping that sort of digital strategy and that digital journey. In order to do that, obviously, there's modernization of some technologies. There's methodology and different ways of actually engaging the business in how they drive change and actually changing culture towards being a slightly more digital-focused, data-orientated organization to really enable potential innovations. Obviously, many organizations are doing this also because there there are so many new technologies available in in recent years that become much more mature than they were maybe three or four years ago. I'm talking about cloud technologies. I'm talking about artificial intelligence, machine learning. And really, coming back to the efficiency point, the transformation towards digital will be about how you bring those things together in the right way to enable the business and the people to do very, very cool things Um, and doing it in a kind of, uh, you know, a right-sized way. Uh, I think there's too much uh, in the general industry, in the technology industry, which hypes. You know, there's hype about blockchain and big data, hype about mm-hmm. digital, hype about agile, and there's that's something that the technology industry has always done, and I, you know, I understand it. But it's about the right application of the technology, the process, and the people together that's really going to be my focus. In the Lloyd's and the insurance world that I work in, data is, you know, everybody says data is an asset or um, data first or data centric or data orientated. Very much data and information is an underpinning element to doing really good business, particularly the type of business that my organization does. So it'll be about bringing together that data in ways that really it's about, you know, providing the, the insights at the right moment uh, in terms of the chain of, of the work that they're doing giving them a really intuitive and customized, personalized sort of view of accessing that information. And then also clearly the, the tools by which they can apply that information to do good business. 
uh, good business ultimately that also helps real people at the end of the day through the insurance that's written um, to recover from things that go wrong and to, uh, you know, obviously to fix things when they go wrong, which is one of the reasons that drives me. But ultimately the end-to-end and the biggest theme on my, on my list at the moment is that digitization strategy and working with a new organization and a new sort of uh, insurance sector for me personally around how to apply my skills and experience over the last 25 years to really bring that together with the uh, the business here to kind of really do something different and to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. You I mean it's it's interesting actually. You mentioned um, you mentioned about the people piece. I'm I'm, I'm kind of really with you on that, uh, uh, especially given where where the, the kind of line of work I work in. But but obviously, given you you you've gone from a an organisation like Direct Line where where there are lots of people to to a now a, a much smaller organisation where where in regards to kind of actual number of people in just in the business as a whole, but even in technology is is a lot less. So is, is that how do you how do you get over that? Like, I mean, what what's it, it and how have you kind of appreciate you're only a couple of months in, but how have you found that kind of move moving to to a smaller organisation, less people, less less of a team, etc. Well, I mean, when you've got a very large team and I've had, you know, direct teams underneath me of, you know, 60, 70 plus and then, you know, partners and an extended family of the team that I run and I'm in charge of that's gone into hundreds and I have a much smaller team now. It's quite nice, actually. Um, when you've got a large team, it's very difficult to get around and engaging them all because there's literally there's so many of them. And with my, at the moment, I've got a much smaller team and a, an opportunity also to shape and build the capability and how that team will actually need to adapt um, in order to, you know, to drive this digital transformation. I think the other element is that larger organizations, and I've been in some very big ones as well as small ones, um, they, their organizational design over 20, 30, 40 years, or even hundreds of years, some of the big insurance, um, has been led through historical um, evolution. One of the things that uh, is quite amazing about my new organization is that they are still very much small one team. There's no segregation between the people in the digital team and the, the IT team and the business team, you know. Yeah. And I think that one of the, the things thinking about people is how to, to not follow uh, necessarily some of the, the unfortunate divisions that appear in large organizations where they effectively become almost like silos or feudal, uh, you know, literally different departments, is actually bring it together. Because I think the vision for me, you know, to do digital and to really kind of go into this next decade and beyond, um, business becomes much more technologically savvy. They need to understand the technology and there's not so much of a division between the business person and the IT person. You actually need to kind of bring them together. And I think the, the most efficient way to also deliver that change is where they're working very, very much together. I'm not necessarily meaning co-location and agile methodologies, although some of those uh, kind of delivery methodologies are obviously part of my thinking, but fundamentally as a culture um, to avoid those segregations. I think it was Nelson or someone similar who said, you can't fight a war on just ships, you need people. Um, you can't... You can't innovate without the people. It's for the people. And we make technology ultimately to to augment us and to support us and to better our lives. So you have to bring the people process technology together. And with a smaller organization, it's um, it's more personal, um, yeah. but also it's, it's much easier to actually affect that cultural change. Do it in a different way ultimately. So it's more of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, it's... Uh 
uh, it's interesting when people kind of generally a lot of people tend to stay in the same size of company, don't they? And it's interesting that you've moved from from bigger to smaller and, and uh, the, the the different dynamics there. So I, I guess if we move if we just move it on to a little bit more in the general sense, you mean. Obviously, insurance is at a point now where where lots of things are changing. Um, e- even before the pandemic, there, there was there was a lot going on around, as you as you've already mentioned, around digital transformation and kind of modernisation. I guess just in in, in a nutshell. Um, where, where do you see where do you see the kind of the big things that are going to happen in the space over the next uh, over the next couple of years? What, what what's your what's your view? Yeah, in the, in the wider insurance industry. So, I mean, uh, in in all all the areas of insurance, I think there's going to be fairly radical change. Not only now the technologies are mature and they're starting to be applied. And I think a lot of uh, generally the wider insurance market has been slow to adopt uh, some technologies compared to other industries who maybe were required to or forced to adopt technologies much sooner, much earlier. You know, retail were doing internet and e-commerce or digital, as, as many would talk about it, 25 years ago. They were starting with that when the first internet sort of started to bloom. And insurers were maybe later uh, to start adopting different channels and different technology ways to interact with their customers, maybe in the mid to late O's, only really getting mature in the last sort of 10 years and very mature now. So I think that that kind of culmination of the whole industry kind of being more savvy with technology and having more mature technology at hand, you know, trusted technology that actually works fully, uh, it's, uh, it's been well tested and proven they're going to start to drive huge innovation. So I've been involved in the last couple, two or three years on things with using Internet of Things and how to apply uh, those technologies to kind of provide different types of insurance. So I'm talking personal lines here, that, but, you know, creating a lifestyle relationship with your customer. So it's not just the vehicle that's insured. It's, you know, helping them with their with their tires and their service and the, the valeting and giving them not just their home insurance as well, but their, and their holiday and their pets, but actually providing a whole lot of ancillary services around mm-hmm. their, their lifestyle. Um, so, you know, lifestyle partner, um, I think there's many organizations out there kind of adopting that kind of strategy of bringing a combination of technology and different types of insurance and ancillary things together. So I think that's going to be quite profound in the way that we see it change. I think um, there's also a likelihood of, so you know, new entrance into the overall insurance sector. Um, I, you know, some of the, the bigger global retailers, the kind of real Goliath industries in retail and other sectors are starting to look at insurance. Again, they are looking at that lifestyle concept of how they partner with their customers and provide all sorts of extra services. So I think that might bring profound change to the overall industry as well. Um, you know, the Lloyd's market itself is transforming, um, adopting new ways. And also, I think the per, post this last year and a half or so of unpleasantness with the COVID, which has also driven many insurers to do profound change in a very short space of time. And I think that the whole industry is going to continue to, to leverage that wave of change. And the fact that they've been very successful in actually applying rapid change to respond to COVID. And I think that my vision or my hope would be that that momentum of change continues because not only does it really signal a kind of potential to, 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 to speed things up, but I think that now modern technology world and our cloud world is also much faster than it ever was before. 
you know, every week there is so many new capabilities, uh, new innovations available, new insurance fintechs, so insurer tech companies that are coming up with new propositions. It's a whole ecosystem of technology, and every day it is doubling and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's so many options and choice. So again, those things will will provide you know profound transformation, profound change. Uh, to the industry as a whole, there's bound to be a, a lot of really interesting innovations as well. You might, uh, you know, people are seeing um, you know, Fitbit and iWatch type based insurance, you know, for their healthcare that's monitoring how fit they are and how many games of golf they play. Um, and those kind of concepts, I think, are going to start to get a lot of traction with people. And I think the other thing that will also drive this is the interaction with people. Insurance used to be a thing you spoke to a broker or it was something you renewed once a year and hopefully you didn't claim um, and you didn't really think about it other than when it was time to pay for the next renewal or when something went wrong. I think that'll change and it'll be, again, something that is actually more just day-to-day part of what you do. Yeah, it will be more than just covering you for your home or your car. It'll cover all sorts of things and support you, you know, in many different ways. All down to innovation, but we'll see. I love the journey. We'll find out where we go. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly uh, an interesting, I mean, uh, it certainly resonates with me, uh, the, the the whole kind of more more embraced kind of service and it being more of a day-to-day thing. I know a lot of the the, the health insurers, especially kind of the, the vitalities of the world have done a lot of that, haven't they, around the... the, the the kind of eye eye watch type thing and 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 you just being more engaged with your insurer throughout that policy rather than like you say it being a kind of transaction on, on x date and then they're not thinking about it again for a year that's that's uh i, th- I certainly think and, and and certainly that personal lines piece it'd be interesting to see how that that pans out with regards to vehicles and uh, and, and car insurance all that kind of stuff because that i think that's that, that they're certainly at the it, it, it almost feels like that's ready to happen now, whereas um, maybe in the kind of London market space and more that commercial insurance is 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 maybe got to try and find other ways of how they how they get they they kind of inter, interact with customers a, a bit more regularly. Um, what what do you mean? It'd be interesting because I, I think naturally insurance has has always. Um, Certainly, since I've been working in the space over the last twelve years or so, it, it's it's always it, it's been a mixture of, of of being resistant to maybe some of the change, but also kind of having a number of challenges in order to to embrace it. So, so what you mean in order for all that stuff to happen that you, you've just mentioned? What, what what do you see the big hurdles that the the the, the set the space and the, the carriers etc. need to to get to get over in order to to really start to embrace that? Well, I think you know the, the, one of the things that uh, that need that w- it needs to happen, and I suppose I was talking about it a little bit earlier uh, on our chat around how you bring people, um, the business people and the technology people together, and also how you change the culture towards a slightly more technologically focused and understanding. You know, insurance industry is, in, by and large, is. Uh, the business side have been slightly focused on the business itself. And what a surprise, because that's what they're really, really good at. I think as they, as we go into this decade, they, they themselves become more aware of the of how to apply technology, and that will stimulate some of the change. I think all of the usual constraints still exist. You know, from an architecture perspective, a technology perspective, you know, what is my estate? How, how, how heritage is it or legacy is it? And those constraints of older technologies and how you transform them is a very difficult puzzle. And, uh, you know, larger and smaller organizations, they all have the same challenges, um, but they aren't. You can overcome them if you approach them the right way, but they can constrain that innovation. They can constrain the way that you do things. I think that 
I think that there's going to be a whole heap of different things as well from a technology perspective that help to address that. You know, the, the pressure in the market for from others innovating, um, threats from motor manufacturers and different entrants or even alternative insurance markets that may come in, well, that's also going to drive change. But for me, probably the, the biggest thing is still about how, how you bring the people and the technology together. And you get the right people with the right energy, and they can come up with the most amazing ways of doing things in different ways and achieving those things in relatively quick turn time. And coming to my, to my point about the speed of change, I think that insurers have been really quite clever. They're really good at, in, at risk, funny enough. It's one of the things they've always been good at. And so they might be slightly more risk averse in, in previous decades um, because, uh, you know, this new technology, do, you know, do we really need it? And, and what's the risk? And now as the, the businesses and the senior leadership of insurers uh, in the, across the entire industry and globally are becoming much more aware and understanding of technology and understand the economics of it more through having people like myself and other you know, enterprise architects and innovators supporting them, bringing them on that journey and helping with the culture and educational change of technology. That is going to be one of the bigger drivers to, to change in the industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's also interesting what you say about people. I mean, I think insurance of uh, the sector as a whole have always been quite insular. Do you know what I mean? People tend to go from one insurance company to the other. I, I certainly think you're starting to see um, that that kind of broaden their horizons a little bit there with taking people from other sectors and stuff. Do you, do you think that's a, that's a kind of a valuable um, kind of resource? Because, I mean, na- naturally, there's elements of insurance if, you, if you're a an actuary, you, you you kind of have to be working in insurance, but technology is certainly a part of that of the business where you can embrace ideas from different sectors, like retail, for example, or, or others that um, to, to to kind of get you a little bit further ahead on that journey. What what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I suppose I've I've always I've always believed that uh, you need to cross pollinate between different industries um, because I think. You know, partly because of my background in consulting where I worked in retail and airline and ministry of defense and finance, banking and insurance. Um, it never seemed to occur to me that that was an issue because I was a technologist focusing on technology rather than the business back in those decades. Um, but I think now there's definitely a, 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 stra- a valuable strategic concept to actually bring people in from different sectors, different industries and bring them into insurers because they bring something different. They bring a different a uh, different approach, uh, sometimes a bit of a different mindset in terms of speed of change. You know, if you're working in an airline industry or in a retailer, you, you're actually quite often used to making rapid changes to your technology and have been doing for many years. Um, and that will that'll change. I think that there are still some very core areas of, of insurance that really need deep, deep insurance understanding and knowledge. And so that, that sort of, you know, from people moving from one organization to the next and uh, underwriting specialist insurance and some of the specific markets um, kind of require not just knowledge, but experience and not just a little bit. And so I think there's always going to be an element of, of you know, um, people being consistent. There are certain roles that require deep, deep knowledge of, of how insurance really works. But, I mean, you mentioned actuarial there. And if you think about, you know, most insurance has uh, pricing and underwriting and actuarial type of capabilities, they are becoming more technical in, uh, than they were maybe uh, five years ago. You're starting to, to, to see roles out there in, in LinkedIn and things where they're looking for actuarial underwriting with Python, with technology 
skills to actually implement new styles of doing insurance, new ways of assessing risk. And to drive that speed of change, I think the market ultimately needs, uh, you know, the wider insurance market and business people will be becoming more technical themselves. Again, like in some other industries uh, where business people are maybe a little bit more hands-on in the technology, that will probably also drive some change. So I've always felt that, um, you know, that just simply from a people perspective in, in, in insurance as a wider industry, bringing people from every other insurer across tends to do very much similar things because most mm. most insurers actually do a lot of very similar things um, and doesn't drive as much innovation. So I think it's, it's getting the balance right of mixing um, different experiences from different industries and getting that cultural fit right with the expertise that you still need to do really good insurance business. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that... Um that that kind of joining of roles has been a thing hasn't it uh, i think over 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 more recent years you I mean actuaries are, are naturally more kind of data science focused than they, than they probably were in the past and and uh, i do remember reading an article not so long ago which was which was kind of how many ceos in, in the future will will be ex ctos and stuff like that I, I think in insurance it's been very separate and um, it'd be interesting i think it's interesting to see how that merges over the the, the, the coming coming years as technology becomes kind of front and center especially in that kind of more personal line space i, I certainly think there's a, there's a there's an area there in which that, that that could definitely happen so i've seen that across europe as well mark in a number of organizations that i've worked with or worked for in various different ways um where maybe five years ago the technology team were underneath the chief operating officer I've, mm. uh, I know a number of those organizations who now have at a board level uh, technologists and either chief data officers, chief digital officers, or, you know, and the chief technology officers are actually taking a position at a higher table in order to actually be very much part of, it's not a business strategy, it's a technical business strategy now. And I think many of the organizations are realizing that they need to bring their technology and their business closer together than maybe in the past, particularly in the older, larger, you know, personalized insurance uh, organizations. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, no, no, I think I think you're right, and uh, I think you, you were already starting to see it already for for sure. Um, so, so I, I guess having been on that journey, you've you've uh, you've been through a, a typical kind of uh, CTO route from from engineer to architecture to to kind of leadership and and, and stuff like that. What 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 would what advice would you give to? I mean, I'm sure a lot of the people that listen to the podcast, uh, I'm sure, will be. Kind of budding CTOs, CIOs, um, even maybe for, for earlier in that that space at the moment in the engineering space, especially in the insurance. I think where engineers are becoming more prevalent in in the sector, whereas before I think they were quite uh, it was quite heavily outsourced and stuff like that. So, what what would be your advice to to someone if uh, they were to ask for your uh, your wisdom on on how they get to that point, or or, or or kind of any any snippets of info that you you would like to have known 10, 15 years ago when you were coming up through that route. I suppose it, um, it is, uh, it's something that really I think that helps everybody even if you're not going to be, if you're trying to become a CTO or an enterprise architect or a chief data officer or a chief digital officer. And it's simply this, is know your numbers. Right? You know, many technologists, especially where they're developers and they come through that route or they come through the technology management uh, or technology outsourced management route or the CIO type route, you know, there are different routes to, to achieve senior leadership in the technology space. 
the thing that I probably only really started to truly understand um, very, very importantly 15 or so years ago was knowing the numbers, knowing the economics of the technology and the business, knowing that, um, you know, the, the innovation or the, the technology architectures and solutions that you're providing to the business really understand the economic impact. Now, I know many people and even I would say, you know, what's the total cost of ownership of this solution? And let's look at the, you know, the ongoing costs of this particular strategy. That's that's fair to say, but I think, you know, the biggest advice I'd say that will really kind of drive people um, to, to be successful in their careers is to always remember the value that's been delivered by what you're doing and always truly understand the economic impact. One of the things that sort of, you know, budding technologists who, who are great with clouds and do DevOps and Dev Engineering and some of these cool innovations in, in technology and they're aspiring to, to lead organizations and lead technology tend to forget is that numbers piece because we're so busy looking at new technology or trying to tell people how wonderful it is or trying to, in a way, sell our vision of how the technology can be applied. And so the focus tends to be, look at this, look at this cool thing, look at how I can make that AI do this. But actually know the numbers is the, is the secret to success in many careers because it's really about doing good business, um, making sure that you're actually delivering value, not just something that looks good or is, is technically cool. It's about the numbers. Mm. Do, do you think that's, uh, do you think that's a, a kind of an area that people – uh, get wrong quite a lot you mean it, as they come up you mean that naturally you you always hear that kind of stereotypical story of of the of the really kind of intelligent uh engineer that that, that loves kind of doing really cool stuff with technology but but may, maybe isn't quite as as uh as as on it from a business perspective they just like doing cool stuff with tech and 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 actually finding that balance of someone who really kind of can can translate that into a into a kind of something that's valuable for business is is, is always the the kind of million dollar um, part of that um i mean do, do you think people make that mistake a lot and um, and and don't know their their numbers and don't get the business side or it, it, I mean, what, 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 do you have any experiences of that, that happening yeah i mean uh, there's you know there's some some solutions that i can remember you know when i was younger where i was extremely excited about these this being the right answer and it's only after working through it with the business and working through with finance to gain more of more skills in, in in economics and the economics of architecture. So effectively, bringing gaining knowledge in in finance of how you finance and the costs of of technology, and then bringing that together with my architecture and technology knowledge to kind of understand the economics of the technology and how it changes. That's really it took quite a while to actually build the skills because you're so busy focusing on how to build the skills in, in applying technology or implementing it, it's sometimes difficult to keep a real close eye on building your skills in, in the economics of it. You know, so we, we do, you know, I, you know, I've learned interesting and valuable lessons, which is why I think knowing your numbers is so important, where, you know, the, the solution are, that you're putting forward is, is a reasonably good price, and you think that's fantastic. But if you really understand the economics of how that would be managed ongoing in terms of change, the, the ultimate supply chain that looks after it and runs it uh, from the operational run all the way through to how you apply change to it in the future or where you've got a really amazing, cool innovation the business and the technologists want to do together. It's great doing that, and but if it's not going to actually do anything valuable to the customer or to, to support the business outcome, if it's not going to drive an economic change that's positive, 
it's sometimes easy to get um, distracted by the shiny technology, which is why I think that if I, you know, if I was encouraging uh, someone in the start of their career in the technology space who want to lead is to build skills. Uh, always remember the numbers and know your numbers. So your solution that you're proposing or the architecture or the technologies, truly understand what it costs to implement and, and really think properly about how you can make the, the, the change uh, and the ongoing run of that um, much more efficient. And if you really bottom it out, you can actually find that it really helps you also to bring people along the journey uh, and to understand your vision uh, for that technology because you can actually put it in terms that not only how the customer will appreciate it or the broker or underwriter who uses it will like it or why it will drive great insight or do something really cool and innovative um, but you'll also be able to bring the finance team along um, and usually most organizations have a finance team uh, and they are the ones who usually pay for it so hence also knowing your numbers helps you actually get some of your vision across and make it real yeah yeah great great so advice don't ignore really. the finance people yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, sounds sounds like sound advice. Um, so so um, we're coming towards the kind of the end of the of the podcast now. But the, um, as as with uh, every episode, we uh, I I have three questions that I was asking, then the 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 the, uh, the dreaded quickfire round at the uh, at the end. So you mean firstly, these obviously relatively short, but the um, what is it you love about the insurance space or the insure tech space? What what is it that uh, that keeps you coming back? So, what did you say? Twelve years you've been there, so there must be something that you like about it. It's both. I mean, I was I was actually doing insurance in nineteen ninety eight. So, I mean, I've been in and out of all wow. sorts of insurance 20, 20 organizations over the years. I think yeah, nineteen ninety eight was the first uh, was the first first insurance uh, exploration I was doing. The I think the thing about insurance, and this is why. I've really kind of focused in and being doing nothing but insurance for more than 10, yeah, 12 years now. Um, the thing ultimately is that it's actually ultimately about doing something good. Um, and, and this might sound like a sales pitch and you can hear big organizations will talk about this is why they do insurance. But actually, when you really get to know some of the senior management of big, big global insurers, they're actually very passionate about the fact that it ultimately helps a business or helps a person or helps a family, you know, when we, nobody likes to have an accident and have to claim on the insurance, but when you do, the insurance is there to help and put your house back together and put you and your family back in a vehicle on the side of the road or to give you the right kind of health care or to give you that peace of mind at night that your house is covered for the hurricane uh, that might come. Um, or that your cargo on the ship is is covered for if the ship is delayed and the cargo goes rotten. There are so many things about insurance that ultimately, when when there are unfortunately the people need to make a claim and use their insurance, it actually helps people when it puts things back together. And I think that that people focus is one of the things that I like about insurance. is It is is intended very well, and it generally does very well to to support people ultimately. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good way of looking at it, actually. Um, I think uh, sometimes people think that uh, it's it's kind of a, it's a necessary kind of evil, but actually, when you need it, it's uh, it's definitely definitely uh, definitely kind of digs you out of a hole. Especially um, if people will get that, especially on the personal lines front. I think that's uh, that's definitely a really really good way of looking at it. Um, so ne- the next one is um, what what's the absolute best thing about being behind your desk right now? 
Um, well, for me, I'm, I, I'm an innovator at heart. You know, I love to realize ideas and to realize change and to, to support transformation. Um, I love learning new things as well, particularly, you know, in terms of learning new styles of business and then applying new ways of providing technology to those businesses. So at the moment, you know, there's, there's a whole heap of new things for me in terms of uh, understanding the Lloyd's market in very great detail. Uh, understanding the transformations that are going in the Lloyd's market and the, the, you know, the, the group of organizations, the ecosystem that works close to the Lloyd's building um, and working with some really profoundly uh, nice people, you know, really um, tenacious but measured in their approach. Um, so getting up to speed on, on all of that is something that really excites me. I think fundamentally it's, uh, you know, the thing that behind my desk now there's uh, you know a really strong agenda around this transformation and there's a lot of interesting work to do um, as I get fully up to speed and, and shape the architecture and shape the strategy and support the business in, in their working through how they will transform and how they will apply technology in new ways and that that's just that, that literally that crux of you know, understanding a really nice idea that an organization or an individual has. It doesn't have to be my idea. It can be other people's ideas and then helping those ideas to be realized and turn into something that does good. Um, I can see that as being, you know, really driving me. And I see a huge amount of opportunity in terms of doing things in different ways um, and applying technology, some of the new technologies that are now available in, in profoundly new ways as well. And I think that's going to be, yeah, it's going to keep me buzzing uh, and energized and uh, really focused on the numbers uh, to kind of make those things happen. Yeah. And the view, obviously, the view out of the window is not, not too bad about being behind your desk at the moment. <laughs> well, it's, it's actually after the last year and a half, uh, I've really quite enjoyed um, coming into, into the office and, uh, you know, socially distancing you know from people but still being closer to people so you know this last year has been profound for us all so it's nice to to sort of see some change and to be to be able to get out about yeah yeah definitely yeah i'm I'm with you on that for sure um and then the last one and i can't i won't i won't actually make you answer this so you can you can answer you can say say whatever you uh ever comes to mind but what what is the one question that i should have asked you but uh but i didn't <laughs> What is the secret to delivering digital? <laughs> well, I think that's a whole other podcast, isn't it? That we we could we could get into that. We we might need another forty-five. Do that next month. That. Yeah, 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 definitely. But it's a secret, so I probably won't tell you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, and then last but not least it is the uh, the quick fire round. So just uh, just a, a few five or six questions, uh, just to uh, I'm, I'm actually going to. Uh, uh, add one in as well the first one um what is the best golf course you've ever played this is just a, a, a for any of the golfers out there for me that's uh oh no that's that that's that one i don't know if i can answer there's so many great golf courses <laughs> out there um, um you know i've played quite a few good ones and i've played many of my local ones there's some fabulous courses all over kent so i really enjoy kind of going to different golf courses I think probably one of the best ones I've played recently or the last three years has been Prea del Rey in Portugal. That was really quite an awesome experience. Yeah, 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 nice. Um, um, and if you weren't a CTO, what would you have been? Um, probably um, a pirate captain of a large super yacht. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good. Um, Favourite film series or TV series? I've actually recently got really 
really hooked on uh, on Sweet Tooth, which is a Netflix series. Um, oh, my wife and I have been binging, also just because it's uh, it's sort of Covidian, if that's now a word. Um, it's sort of linked to or kind of very similar to the experience we've gone through. It's quite a nice series. Okay, well, I'll have to note that down and have a look. I'm uh, I'm starting to run out of things on Netflix after 18 months of uh, of watching it. Um, so the first thing you would buy if you won the lottery? Very big yacht. Or a golf uh, course, if you know, it's sort of a Euro millions of buying or, or, well. well. Or both, depending on how much you uh, you win. Might be need the Euro lot, the Euro millions to, 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 to get both. Um, your favourite business-related book that you would recommend to someone? So there's a book that I really recommend to anyone. And again, coming to the you know question about how to support people who are looking to develop their career, there's a book which is a little dated in, in the story, but it's fabulous, and it's called The Goal. The Theory of Constraints uh, by Goldratt. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a story about a guy in a factory, but it has a most profound um, mathematically based uh, theory about constraints. And you can apply it to agile, you can apply it to technology, you can even apply it to standing in the queue at Starbucks waiting for your coffee. Um, and I'd very much recommend that because I think uh, not only is it a fun story and it's a Socratic, it's telling your story, but the theory that the business theory that comes out of it is. It's quite profound. Yeah, yeah. In, okay, interesting. Have to look that one up. Um, uh, which brand or company do you really admire? Um, uh, actually, uh, uh, I'm just going to say Elon Musk um, because I think cool. that's all of the many things. He's the CTO and the CEO of so many different organizations and he's so innovative and he's driving so much change. Uh, I think that would probably be my sort of – I think he's a brand in his own right now. Yeah, um, yeah I think you're right. So, yeah, Elon yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's kind of the, the the epitome of the personal brand, isn't he? Um, the uh, and then last but not least, um, what is the one piece of technology you couldn't live without? Um, my my smartphone. It's an iPhone. There are other brands on the market, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I just I couldn't be able to live without it. I wouldn't even know where I was without it. I'm so dependent upon it nowadays. Yeah. It's quite yeah, it's quite scary. I, I'm I'm pretty much the same, really. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm going on holiday next week, and my wife has already told me you're, you're not going to be on that phone the whole time. Which uh, so uh, we'll we'll see we'll see how that pans out. Um, well, look, Mark, th- thanks thanks so much, and we we've kind of come to the end, and really really do appreciate you uh, you taking the time for me and all the listeners to. Um, to tell us a bit about your story, some fascinating stuff in there, and uh, and, and certainly some some bits of uh, info and advice for people that I, I think would be really useful. It's great to hear your your view on the sector as well. It's, uh, it's certainly a space that's drastically changing at the moment, and uh, and, and you're kind of right right in the middle of it, which is uh, it's going to be exciting, I'm sure. Um, naturally, off the back of this, I'm sure there's always people that that, that want to reach out and and, and connect and uh, and maybe ask you some questions. Are you, are you, are you kind of happy to do that? And, and what what's the What's the best way for people to, to get in touch with you and, uh, and and kind of have a further conversation? Sure. I mean, literally reach out to me on LinkedIn and connect. And uh, if you want to drop me a question or kind of connect with me on LinkedIn, that, that'd be great. Sounds good. Great. Well, look, you mean, thanks again. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, This is uh, the first series. There's going to be plenty more uh, episodes coming, so hope you've enjoyed it. Um, If you want to get in touch with Mark, then then reach out to to him directly. Again, me as well, if anyone wants to to reach out and uh, and give any suggestions for guests or anything like that, more more than happy to listen. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, and thanks, Mark, again, for, for taking some time to speak to us. Pleasure. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, like and a comment, and even better, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash Mark Thomas and the number zero. It would be great to hear from you. Equally, if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it would be great to hear them too. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to catching up with you again next time.